This is episode 908 with Dr. Greg Young. So the real task that an athlete has to, has to um, sort of overcome when it comes to their attention is figuring out what's noise and what's signal, right? So signal is the stuff that's important, the stuff that's useful for what we're trying to do. And noise is all of the other clutter that goes on there, right? If we're talking about this in terms of, um, in terms of um, like telephone, Right. You, you want a really clear line. You don't want any static. You don't want any, you know, cross lines or anything like that. So it, um, it, it makes sense for an athlete to, to really want to try and figure out, well, what is useful to me in the moment? And the, the way that I do this with my athletes is I try and get them to, to, you know, have a, have a real sense of awareness about, okay, when I perform at my best, what am I paying attention to? Right. And that sounds like an unbelievably simple question, but it's one that I wish more athletes would pay attention to. And that's the, um, that's, the, that's the understanding of there is tons and tons of stuff going on in my environment. At the end of the day, I have to figure out what's best for me. Welcome to Athlete Maestro, a podcast tailored for athlete development, improvement, and peak performance. And now, here's your host. Uh, trust me, when you have um, guys who have PhDs on the podcast, like it, it's always an episode that takes you to class, right? And if I, who am conducting the interview, if I, who am in the hot seat, so to speak, putting these guys through the task, if in the middle of that, I feel like I'm being taken to class, then trust me, it just tells you how remarkable these people are and of course how knowledgeable they are in their field. Dr. Greg Young uh, is a manager at IMG Coaching and Development. And of course, he has a PhD in sports psychology. Previously, he was assistant head of mental conditioning as well, and also a graduate assistant. So trust me, he has gone through the ranks in getting to the point where he is. And I felt like this episode, guys, like, you know, if there was a better way to describe it, it's one of those episodes where, so usually I encourage athletes like, you know, you're going to the gym, right? Instead of listening to music, yes, I know you want to pump yourself up, but why don't you listen to educational content, right? That, you know, gives you something that you can use positively in your career. And of course, the podcast is one of it. But trust me, guys, after listening back to this episode, this is one where you're going to want to take notes. And of course, if you're listening to it while you're in the gym, it's going to kind of disrupt your training a little bit because you're going to have to stop, get out your notepad, take notes, then continue, then go through your drill, then come back. It was that good. Dr. Greg Young is one of those guys who, trust me, he knows what he's doing. We talk about mental performance coaching for student athletes. We talked about practice and competition. We talked about the development pathway for this athlete. We talked about performance challenges, confidence, handling pressure, managing emotions. Oh, man, we went the full horde, like in this episode. We went into detail on all of these things and trust me when you work at img academy which is one of the biggest and the best sports academies in the entire world then trust me it means that you know what you're doing right it means that you know what you're doing and how we broke this down look the episode was so good guys that i had to tell dr greg i had to get his commitment to come back on the podcast sometime next year right to talk more on some of the things that we weren't able to talk about. If it wasn't that good, right, it would have just been, hello, hi, thank you for coming, see you later, or see you down the road, but this is not one of them. We're going to have Dr. Greg Young back because his episode was so good. We couldn't delve into detail. The, the part on confidence alone, guys, if you're an athlete, you're struggling with confidence, 
you are going to want to cut this part out and listen to it time and time and time and time again because just that portion alone was super educative and super good talking about the sources of confidence and all of those things oh i'm super excited guys for you to listen to this episode this episode guys is brought to you by my free email course on how to build your mental toughness a large part of sports guys the mental aspect of the game the mental aspect of the game you master that step closer of course to becoming the athlete you were meant to be athletemaestral.com forward slash mental toughness athletemaestral.com forward slash mental toughness when you get your hands on that free email course come back to this episode with myself and dr greg You guys are watching this on video you see him proudly with the img academy shirt and we had a little conversation just before we started about how prestigious that academy is and we're going to delve into a little bit of detail into what they do how they help athletes perform get to the peak of their abilities thank you so much for joining me dr greg oh, it's a real pleasure to be here fortunately this color suits me so i'm very very happy that this is the color of img if it was a different color shirt with red hair who, who knows what would happen <laughs> <laughs> oh, that transpired. You know, I, I was looking at your backstory, you know, and you had quite a journey, you know, that has led you to the point where you are now, you know, working with the IMG Academy, you know, and the reason I want to take you a little bit back is for those athletes who are listening to us now, and we know how this issue of the mental game in sports or mental performance, how it's, you know, more or less like a, a stigma, so to speak, that Certain athletes try to stay out of. You know, I noticed that you uh, you were a graduate assistant sometime in 2010. That's a long time ago, I know, right? But you worked with NCA athletes. Can you talk to me a little bit about that experience? What that was like working with this young boarding athletes, though they are in college, you know, and what all of that was about. Yeah, I, I, that, that's a great question. So I was I was fortunate enough to study at the University of Tennessee. So I, I did my master's and PhD. Um, both at the University of Tennessee in, in sports psychology and motor behavior. Um, and during my time there, I was fortunate to hold a couple of different mm -hmm. positions around the university. So I, I worked in the physical ed the physical education activity program, teaching um, teaching sport activity classes to uh, to undergraduate students, which was phenomenal. So I got to teach everything mm -hmm. from um, from soccer, which is my background, to uh, to weightlifting, to um, to tennis, to badminton, to racquetball, to to walking and bowling. Believe it or not, ten pin bowling. Um, so it was, it was a really well-rounded program. Um, a little bit later on in my in sort of my career at Tennessee, I was fortunate enough to to receive a, a graduate assistantship to work with the athletic department. So I was really fortunate to work with a number of a number of athletes from from around the athletic department um, on an individual basis. But I was also really fortunate to work with um, at the time coach was uh, coach was Ange Kelly um, with the, the the UT women's soccer team, um, and was fortunate to do um, some some work with them over over my time there. And I think. Um, Probably the most interesting thing of working with collegiate athletes, um, and let's bear in mind, I was relatively, I was a relatively young man myself at that time as well, was realizing perhaps how, um, how ill-prepared or how unequipped athletes that were technically and tactically and physically so good, we're talking about a really high-level um, athletic university here, how a lot of them were kind of mm. not really that prepared to deal with the mental uh, and the emotional demands of sport and, and, and the rigors of high-level sport. And it was really surprising mm. to me that what we may consider to be relatively simple things weren't actually present in their game, you know, and, and, and 
you know, when I think about the position that I'm currently sat in now and, and you know, having worked at some other universities where I've had the, the, the good fortune to work with a number of great professionals and, and, and other athletes as well, um, what I find myself in a position to do now in youth sports is to try and help athletes equip themselves so when they do reach that next level, that they do feel like that they've got the tools to be able mm. to deal with the pressures of performance, the demands of high-level performance, the, the competitiveness, all of the things that go on at that next level, whether that is uh, the collegiate level or whether that's even perhaps a professional level, feeling like we can really get ahead of these things in the youth, in the youth space during that phase of their development to equip them to be successful, just as the same way you'd like to hope that through their strength and conditioning, they're preparing their bodies to be ready to compete at that next level where they're playing, let's face it, against fully grown men and fully grown women in, in, in those spaces, feeling like they've got the demand, oh, sorry, feeling like they've got the resources mentally to come, you know, to complement that physical skill set, mm-hmm. meet the demands of that performance. So I think the biggest realization for me was realizing how simple some of the, the gaps in knowledge for these athletes were. Um, and being in the position that I'm fortunate mm-hmm. to be in now, realizing that those are some things that can be very easily addressed to be able to skill these athletes up to be able to deal with those things when they hit the next level. Mm, I love how we've started, you know, and, and where you've taken us in terms of working with those NCA athletes. Now, just to uh, quickly break that down a little bit, you mentioned a few things there, you know, that I think are very important. And I want you to, you know, kind of expound on them a little bit. You mentioned how, you know, surprising it was that, you know, these athletes were not prepared with, you know, some of these basic things in terms of preparing for the next level. Now, before we talk about mm. the levels to development, you know, as, as best as you know it, what was one of the things that surprised you the most that some of these NCA athletes struggled with? You know, so it, it could be anything. Well, based on performance that you realize that, you know, we're trying to help these athletes with this, you know, it, it just seems like they're not getting it. Yeah, I think the, the the thing that really stands out to me, the thing that surprised me the most was how many athletes were taken by surprise at how hard competition is at the next level. Pl- plain and simple, as, as easy wow. it is as that. They were taken by surprise that the next level is difficult, right? If you're, if you're a youth athlete, you know, you might be one of those youth athletes that's really, really fortunate. You might be, you might be a bit of an early developer, an early maturer, where, you know, you're, you're, you're fast, you're strong, you're physically bigger and stronger technically you're you're better and you might be really really good at the level that you're currently at but there's always a next level Mm -hmm. right and it was amazing to me how many people had had it not easy because that you know at at a high school and the youth level because that that doesn't do them a service they're obviously very good at what they did playing at that level but a lot of people in my experience really thought that that would just naturally translate to the next level and i think you know Mm -hmm. if you're in the if you're in the high school level and you're moving up to the collegiate level or to, or to whatever that, that is, wherever you are in the world, I think what you've got to realize is the people that make it to that level are the best of the best of the level that you were just at, right? So those people are like, or if not better than you were at that level, right? And the same yeah. from college. If you think about professional yeah. sports, think about the NBA or the, you know, the NFL, going from the college game to those, you know, you think, oh, a, a college football team has a, has an offensive line of, you know, five 350-pound guys that are fast, that are strong. As soon as you move that up to the NFL level, everyone's that big, everyone's that fast, everyone's that strong. So, it, it you know, it, it, it makes sense that you're going to have to work really, really hard. And I think a lot of the people that I worked with thought that it would just come naturally or come easy to them stepping in and perhaps weren't ready for the rigors of competition. Now, 
from a mental standpoint, mm. obviously what that does is that can have a huge impact on your confidence, right? If all you've experienced relatively mm. is, is pretty much success at that lower level and you haven't sort of been, you know, for want of a better word, kicked around by competition and had to, had to battle through a few things and show some resilience and a little bit of toughness and kind of go through those experiences that we know are formative for athletes and you haven't had that sort of proving ground, as it were, when you get to that next level and all of a sudden your confidence gets gets um, uh, not attacked but questioned, right? You've got nothing necessarily yeah. to lean on in your previous experience. And I think that really puts athletes on the back foot. They're essentially in uncharted territories. They don't really know how mm. can I, you know, my confidence is either confidence is either on or off at the moment. Right now it's off because I'm facing tough competition every single day, even on mm. my own team. But I think, you know, helping them recognize that, yeah, it should be difficult. That's the reason that you're yet that you're there because you've been pulled into this ecosystem of athletes, ecosystem of sports, ecosystem of performance, because you have something, whether that's physical, technical, tactical, hopefully mental and a combination of all of them, that a coach sees in you, that someone sees in you to be able to deal with these demands. So long story short, people not realizing how hard the next level actually is. Mm. Now, apart from the um, coming up with the plans and, you know, what they can do in terms of, you know, creating maybe like a schedule or something, what's what's one ready solution? And obviously, apart from telling them that, hey, you know, it, it's really difficult. It's not as easy as you think it is. You know, what's a solution that you provide for these athletes or that you provided for the athletes when you realize that, hey, these guys are struggling with this. You know, they thought it would be easy. It's actually not going to be easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a really fantastic question and one that I think everyone who works in sports has to wrestle with, right? And and to be perfectly honest, it's going to sound like a little bit of a cliche in the mental game, but it's it's kind of helping athletes to to understand that perspective of not necessarily the outcomes of the things that they do, but it's the process of things that they do, right? And you'll hear people in the in, you know in, in in the mental conditioning world and mental performance world, they'll continue to bang on this drum. Why? Because it's a great it's got a great sound when you bang on this drum. Really what, what we can help athletes do is to recognize that throughout their entire athletic career, whether that's when they're just starting out or when they're real peak performers, is what we should be aiming for is a, is a, a process or an attitude of development as opposed to an attitude of performance, mm. right? So that goal of not necessarily making a start in 11 or making a start in team or contributing in goals or minutes or you know whatever it is that demands of your sport mean in terms of wins and losses, but are you developing and are you getting better? So reconceptualizing that idea of competition, right, which is me competing against someone else or other people, where is there, there's a natural comparison, right? If me and you were to play a game of table tennis, there is going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. I've mm. never seen you play table tennis, but I know I'm, I'm horrific, so it's probably going to be you. But I'm going to compare myself to you as a performer. Mm. When really if I'm taking on an attitude of development, what I'm looking to do there is trying to compare myself to where I was yesterday, a week ago, a month mm. ago, six months ago, a year ago, and recognize that this is a process that continues to go on and on and on. And only if I'm only measuring myself against performance, I'm leaving a lot of things outside of my control. A lot of it goes away mm. from me and falls into the hands of other people, right? Whether that's an opposition, whether it's an opposition team, whether it's my own team, right? If I'm, an, if I'm one person on a soccer field, there's... 10 of my teammates, 11 of them, a referee, two assistant referees, and one ball. There's a lot of things that are outside of my control and, you know, that I can't necessarily influence to win. But if my yeah. goal is when I step on that field to be a better player and demonstrate my development, 
that puts me in a really good position, not to guarantee success, but to put myself in a position to approach success. Mm. So really when I'm working with athletes that are having this, hey, let's take a little bit of a step back. Let's try and look at this from a bigger picture. All we're looking to do is get incrementally better. And that might be very, very small steps. Sometimes it might be huge, big leaps and bounds as people, you know, they, they click or they hit a growth spurt mm. or they have a, you know, a tactical realization or, you know, maybe it's a golfer and they finally find that swing that fix it, uh, that, that, or that swing fix that just makes them hit the ball pure. There could be leaps and bounds and big jumps, but really we're just looking for that little bit of development over and over again. And the earlier you can get an athlete to recognize that that's all sport performance is, is a process mm. of development over a period of time, it's the outcome is always going to happen. There's never been a game of any sport that didn't have an outcome. Mm. We might not have cared. You might have played soccer on a field with people and you didn't keep score, but there was a score. It's always going to happen, whether we like it or not. If we've got athletes that are putting a ton of attention on that thing, they're not paying attention to their performance. They're not paying attention to, the, the, to their development. And the things that we don't pay attention to fall off to the wayside, unfortunately. But if we have a real focus on that development and on that sort of passion and desire to grow and get better and better, the performance ends up taking care of itself. Mm. That, that's a classic case, if I hear you correctly, and of course, correct me if I'm wrong, that's a classic case of where you have an athlete who is uh, posed with the question, that if you are a 100-meter athlete, you know, would you rather come last in a race and run a personal best time, or would you rather win the race and have your slowest time that you've ever run? You know, so, so what do you say to the school of thought that people, you know, the school of thought that says that sports is about competition? So if you're talking about my personal best time, yeah. but I never win anything over the course of my career, where, where, where is that taking me? What, what do you say to people that have that school of thought? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's, a, that's a phenomenal question. And, and I would say it's really getting to the heart of what, what's the issue with this, right? Um, and so let's, let's, let's take that 100-meter example, right? If, mm. I, if we're in a 100-meter race and we're in a packed stadium, let's say to the Olympics, right? We're in a packed stadium. We've got thousands of people watching us. It's on TV. It's, it's, being, uh, it's being broadcast worldwide, right? Everyone and their dad's watching it. Mm. And I go out there. You know, I'm, 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 I'm representing Great Britain. You know, every, everyone else who can run the 100 meters is all of a sudden, you know, they've decided to withdraw and I'm the guy that's gone in there. And I run and I get absolutely smashed, but I run a personal best. I'm probably, if, if I am disappointed with that, I'm probably disappointed because there were so many eyes on me. Now, if we were to kind of, if we do a little bit of a thought experiment here, let's get philosophical over this, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say that everyone ran that race in a tunnel. So we had eight tunnels next to each other. No one knew where they finished. And no one, and no one was able to watch, right? Mm. How would that athlete then feel about performance? If they went out there and gave it their all and ran a personal best, but there was no one observing that, right? Which we probably can't make happen, but which would be a phenomenal experiment to try and run. I bet that athlete would view that race or the way that they ran in a different way to if they were being socially observed, right? Mm. We know social observation, you know, through the classic studies has an impact on the way that we perform. Now, if, you know, if, if competition and the reason that you value competition is because of that social comparison and that social observation, then that's a problem. If you view mm -hmm. competition as an opportunity to demonstrate what you can do, that's a really healthy way to look at competition, right? And it, it's a very, very simple shift. A, a really good friend of mine, Christian Carter, who, who, um, who works at James Madison University and, and was teaching a strength and conditioning course, um, he used to, he had tests within that course and he never would call them tests or exams. He'd mm. call them celebrations of knowledge. 
And I love that, right? Because it's the same thing. It's a test. It's an exam. But just by kind of changing the mindset or the perspective around that, that frees you up to just go, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to put down on this piece of paper everything I know. I'm going to demonstrate my knowledge. I'm going to demonstrate the kind of the way that I've taken this information and synthesized and made sense of it and put it down on this paper. If we translate that to a 100-meter runner, that 100-meter runner should feel satisfied, not necessarily happy, but satisfied if they go out there and demonstrate to the best of their ability with um, with real honesty and real effort and run as hard or as best as they possibly can, given the constraints of that race, with their performance. If other people happen to run faster than you, that's the nature of sports, unfortunately. If it was guaranteed, sports would be boring. Mm. Uh, true, and I, and I love your answer. And, you know, it takes me to, you know, kind of my understanding of what you're saying, which is that athletes have to learn to, number one, tune out the noise, and also tune out the social observation of people watching and all of that. Is there is there anything that you can recommend, you know, to athletes who are listening to us now on how they can tune off that noise? You know, you, you go into a stadium to perform, whatever sport it is that you play, you know, and you're not trying to pick out your friends in the stand. You're not trying to pick out your family members in the stand. You're not trying to pick out who is watching me. Is there this coach from that place? How is there anything they can employ that kind of helps them tune out that noise? They get in there to perform. They focus on the task at hand. Yeah, I, I, yes, plain and simple. I think you used you used an interesting word there. You used um, you used kind of the noise, the noise of performance, right? So the real task that an athlete has to has to um, sort of overcome when it comes to their attention is figuring out what's noise and what's signal. Right. So signal is the stuff that's important, the stuff that's useful mm. for what we're trying to do. And noise is all of the other clutter that goes on there. Right. If we're talking about this in terms of um, in terms of um, like telephone. Right. You, you want a really clear line. You don't want any static. You don't want any you know cross lines or anything like that. So it, um, it, it, it makes sense for an athlete to, to really want to try and figure out, well, what is useful to me in the moment? And the, the way that I do this with my athletes is I try and get them to to you know, have a, have a real sense of awareness about, okay, when I perform at my best, what am I paying attention to, right? And that sounds like an unbelievably simple question, but it's one that I wish more athletes would pay attention to. And that's the, um, that's the, that's the understanding of there is tons and tons of stuff going on in my environment. At the end of the day, I have to figure out what's best for me. Now, the only way to do that is to reflect, right? And to have a real understanding of, what works best for me? So, you know, this could be something as simple mm. as um, as maybe watching a race. Let's go with that race example again, right? Watching a race back, right? Recognizing, okay, where, where was I in, you know, what was I thinking about in this moment? Maybe it's taking a moment in practice to kind of just stop and pause and think, okay, what's helpful to me now? What isn't helpful to me now? And really identifying um, what I like to term as attentional thieves, right? So things that distract me, things that are trying to grab my attention that aren't useful to me in this moment mm. okay not saying that they're never going to be useful but they're not useful to me right now so i say all of that to say to say mm -hmm. this if you're able to figure out what is signal and what is noise the very simple technique or strategy or skill whatever it is you want to call it for athletes to focus on is really trying to deliberately pay attention to what you know to be the most important part of things okay now we know that we can't pay attention to a lot of different things all at once, right? We've only got a kind of a limited attentional capacity. There's only so much space up here for stuff to go into. Now, if 
let's say, for example, I have, um, what's a nice analogy here? Let's say, for example, I have a cup of coffee, right? Let's say I go to the coffee shop and I would like a cup of coffee, right? And I go to the coffee shop and I get asked at the front counter, what would you like? And I'll say, okay, I'll have a, um, I'll have a, a, a mocha with extra whipped cream with, um, semi-skim milk with some chocolate sprinkles and some other stuff on top. What I've done there is I've actually gone into the sh- gone into the shop and got what appears to be a coffee, but is actually very little coffee, right? If I went in there for a coffee and they just filled my cup full of coffee, that's what I went in mm. there for. But in order for me to fill all that other stuff into the cup, the whipped cream, the sprinkles, the chocolate sauce, all of that wonderful, tasty stuff that goes in, what have I had to get rid of? I've had to get rid of the coffee, which is the very reason that I'm there. So when it comes to our attentional space... If we fill that attentional space with things that we know Mm. are useful and important to our performance, there really is no room for that other stuff to go in, right? So I, I, you know, I get asked honestly by athletes, how do I stop thinking negatively or how do I stop getting distracted? The simple answer is you continue to focus on the Mm. things that you know are important in your performance. That's it, right? Same answer if you're performing really well. What do I need to be paying attention to? The things mm. that you're already doing. Continue to pay attention to those. Well, what happens if my perform if I'm if I'm being distracted and my performance isn't going the way that I want to go? Well, you need to start thinking about those things that you know are useful to, for mm. performance. But the hard work comes before that, and that's really identifying what those things are, and then being you know in your performance or in your game atmosphere, being able to just go. I've noticed I'm not paying attention to the things I need to be paying attention to, but I know what those things are. Let's start thinking about those. So it sounds, it sounds simple. It sounds too simple, <laughs> but really that is the, that is the easiest way to do this. And like I said, you know, working with some NC2A mm. athletes, it's, it's amazing how many of them don't mm. have that, what we would consider to be really simple knowledge. Think about the things that you want to be thinking about. At the end of the day, Garrett doesn't guarantee success, but puts you in a position to be, to be successful. Mm. Oh, perfect answer. And, you know, you've, you've, you've just talked about, you know, some amazing things and analogies, you know, noise versus signal and all of that. You know, from this NCAA athletes that you worked with, what would you say was the difference between those that made it and those that didn't? Because, you know, I imagine that, you know, you worked with these guys and just like we are discussing now, you know, some of these things are things that, you know, you, you, you've spoken to them about. You've tried to coach them on. Attentional thieves, what, what are they focusing their attention on they get distracted and they come back to focus on the things that are important what would you say was the difference between those that you know eventually you know maybe from college they went on to the pros you know it it might not have been for a long time you know but quote unquote they made it what was the difference between those kind of athletes and the ones that didn't make it Mm, great question i think the um i think to be perfectly honest the answer the answer is very similar for, for athletes that make it from a youth level to the college level. I don't, I don't really think there's a, there's a great difference from the, from the mental standpoint. And I'd say that that difference is, um, belief. And really, what's another word for belief? It's confidence, right? And what I mean by that is not necessarily confidence like, I'm phenomenal. Mm. This is brilliant. I can go out here and dominate, but confidence and belief in their ability to get better, to learn, to develop, to be able to refine the skills that they've got. I think, you know, athletes that feel like they're a finished article, like they've, they've got everything figured out, 
it's that just puts you in a position to fail. I'll, like my golf game, right? I'll go out there on the golf course, I'll hit a few good ones, and I'll think, oh, I've got this figured out. This is dead easy. And then all of a sudden, I'll hit that one, shank <laughs> it, it off into the houses, um, and you know, you think, okay, maybe I haven't got it cracked, right? But it's that confidence and that belief that I can continue to develop, continue to learn, continue to take information in, and probably most important from a mental standpoint is not necessarily just taking information in, but applying it in practice, therefore being able to trust it in competition, right? So I always talk about this with athletes, you know, if I'm, if I'm working with them remotely, you know, and we're having yeah. a conversation like we're having here, or if I'm working with them in a classroom or in a practice session is, I always say, listen, if what we talk about and the ideas and the techniques and these strategies only exist on a piece of paper or in this call or in this classroom, you're leaving a lot on the table, right? Now, I can't make athletes do anything, right? I can't make them go out and practice mm-hmm. this stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't make them focus on the right things during performance. You know, that would, that would be great if we could, but, you know, ultimately performance is up to the performer. So my, my you know, um, mm. my real challenge to athletes is, hey, can you take this stuff and can you experiment and can you try and implement and can you try and apply and can you have that real sort of inquisitive mind of development where you can step onto the practice field and go, you know what, I might make, I might make a bit of a fool of myself, but I'm going to try this today. You know, whether that's a, a golfer standing on the practice mm. tee and they're literally speaking through out loud the process that's going in their head just so they feel committed when they step up to a golf ball. Mm. Maybe it's a soccer player, and we see this commonplace now, right? You know, when they're about to take a free kick or an, an important moment in the game, really taking a deep breath, right? They, they, they have to do that in practice to be able to rely on it in competition. You know, if you're a tennis player, you wouldn't mm. try and hit a serve in a match. You know, you've got your match point at Wimbledon. You wouldn't randomly try and hit a serve that you've never done in practice, right? Because you've got no clue how it's going to go. Mm. So what's the what's the goal here? Well, the goal is to practice, and there is no better place to practice than practice. They literally named it that. <laughs> so you can go out there in your competition mm. environment and, and perform with confidence. But that confidence comes from a belief that you're developing and that you've got the tools that you're you're capable of rising and meeting the challenge and continue to grow and continue to develop. Not just I'm going to succeed here, because if that success doesn't come, which let's face it, doesn't happen all the time for most athletes. Your confidence has to come from somewhere else. So being able to kind of develop a more robust understanding of what confidence is puts those athletes in a better position. Mm, we're going to come and talk about confidence, you know, a little bit. I, I hope you have time, Dr. Gray, because, you know, you are mentioning a lot of things that is getting that lawyer part of me, you know, very interested and bubbly, you know, and is, is, is making me salivate, so to speak. We're going to come to that confidence. Well, you mentioned something towards the tail end of what we're talking about now, which is practice versus competition. You have to have been able to do it in practice before you can to do it in competition. And I'll give you a, a practical um, example, real life example, you know, which will lead into the question that I wanted to ask you, and which is that there was a time in, in, in Nigerian football, right, where there was a particular player who the coach always picked. So it was for um, um, soccer because I'm here in the US, and the coach would always pick him, always pick him. He would make the starting 11. But in almost every game, he would never perform until he was substituted, right? So he goes to the you know, analyst and fans, you know, started asking the coach questions like, why in the world are you always picking this guy? He's a striker, he never scores, never links 
never never does anything to benefit the team until you take him out. And what the coach said at the time was that you guys don't see what happens in practice. This guy is literally the best player in every practice. So naturally, I'm going to pick him. That's a prelude to my question. Why is it that there are certain athletes, like this athlete who is an international, plays club football in Europe, they practice excellently. When it comes to performance, they let down. Can you explain to us a little bit what happens in that scenario and how you advise athletes who deal or struggle with that? <laughs> that is, um, that's quite the question. And, um, quite the question and, and probably pretty pertinent going into the World Cup break here that we've got coming up. Um, I, think, I think it's a great one. And I think that the, um, I, th I think it's probably pretty common. Right, is that we have we have I have athletes, and this is across all of the levels, right? So youth sport, college sport, and professional sport, that as you rightly say, are phenomenal during practice, but can't necessarily translate that to um, can't translate that to, to competition. And I think that perhaps, well, as you as you rightly say, we don't know what happens in practice. That person could be absolutely it could be a lethal finisher, and you know, making all of the runs and doing all of the stuff that they need to see. So obviously, the coach. The coach is seeing something, right? The coach isn't just sort of closing his eyes and picking the team sheet, and that guy just happens to be on the on the you know in the starting eleven all of the time. So the coach thinks something there. The the coach might also think that that person offers something unique that might not be covered by other players within the team, right? Maybe it's someone that um, you know someone that is a is a creative or an explosive player, or someone that has you know the kind of that game changing quality where they might go missing for eighty nine minutes. But in that 90th minute or, you know, in a moment, it's a moment of wonder, a moment of brilliance. And let's face it, international football, that's kind of what you need, right? You don't need, you don't need nil-nil draws. But I think sort of addressing it from why is that athlete able to perform during practice and not necessarily translate that to competition? It's a great question. So obviously speculating here because oh, I don't know definitely. the ins and the outs and I don't know how performance or how practice is set up. What I would hypothesize is that even though practice probably looks like competition it probably doesn't have the the demands of competition mm. right now what i mean by that is if we think about competition right playing football playing soccer whether you're doing that on a practice field or whether you're doing that on a competition field is exactly the same game right it is a ball it is 22 people it is an eight foot by eight yard goal it is the rules that we all know and we all love mm. right but what's the difference between practice and competition and I would really kind of say it boils down to competition matters. Competition matters to people, right? Particularly international competition, right? So if that practice isn't representative in terms of the demands of the competition, and I don't just mean it's on a, you know, 120 by 80 field and it looks like soccer, but if it doesn't have any sort of pressure elements, now that might be a time element, it might be a, a space element, it might be a sort of a handicapped element. Maybe you set it up where the, the team's a goal down or a goal up or playing with 10 men against 11 men. The, the more a coach can try and create representative experiences in practice that prepare an athlete for competition, the better. Now, obviously, your reply to that being a lawyer is going to be, oh, but can we ever truly recreate competition? Can we ever truly recreate pressure? And I would say, objection, Your Honor. Um, but I, I take it. I take your point entirely, right? Is and the simple answer is no. We can't, right? We 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 can't represent what it's like to play in a World Cup. What it's like to play in a an NC two A final. What it's like to play in a high school state tournament. What it's like to play in your 
high school team against a rival, a rival high school. We can't. Plain and simple. But we can have a good guess at it. We can try and tap into the things that we know that athlete's going to face. So what's that athlete going to face in hardship? They're going to be put in situations where they're going to make mistakes. Can we recreate those things in practice that allow them to practice what it's like to make mistakes and how to come back from those mistakes, right? Put them in situations where we kind of guarantee failure, Mm. right? It's a little Mm. bit nefarious, but can we put them in there knowing that they're going to happen in the game and we want them to develop the response, right? Kind of like going in, it would be like going into a, going into a World Cup as a team and not having worked on set pieces. Mm. Like we haven't worked on attacking or defending corners. We just kind of hope people are going to be able to figure it out when they're on the field. Now, they're a group of, a group of 11 professional footballers. There's a really good chance that they're going to figure something out, right? There's going to be enough on the team, but are they going to do it as well? Are they going to be able to do it under pressure? Are they going to be able to do it when it matters, when it counts? Probably not. So the role of practice at the very heart and the very essence of practice is to prepare people for the demands mm. of competition. That doesn't just mean can they kick a ball, can they receive a ball, can they head a ball, can they track, tackle and mark a man? No, it's can they meet the mental and emotional demands of that performance as well. So long story short, I would guess that if I was the coach or if I was working with that team, I'd try and help a coach figure out, okay, well, how do we go about creating situations that help this athlete deal with the things that they're struggling with come game time in a safe practice environment. Is it possible for the athlete to do this personally? And in what situations can they do it on their own? You know, maybe the team is not doing it. Maybe the team is not employing that tactics. And, you know, they want to try and do things like that on their own. What, what can they do? Yeah, very good question. Um, I, would, I would say that that's, that's everything in sport. Athletes can figure it out by themselves. But that's kind of the role of the coach or the role of, you know, if, if, if you're working with someone who's, who's in a mental performance or a mental conditioning or a sports mm. psychology role, that, that's really their job is just to kind of expedite the process, right? To kind of help focus that attention towards what it is that athlete should be working with. So an athlete absolutely could guess <laughs> and, try, and try and figure those things out. And when, when I say guess, it's an unbelievably educated guess mm. because there's no one knows their own performance better than themselves, mm. right? No one knows what it's like to be you. No one knows what it's like to be me better than me. No one knows what it's like in my body or in my experience when I'm out on that football pitch and things aren't going the way that I want them to go, how mm. that impacts me, the way that I think, the way that mm. I feel, the way that my body feels, the way that my game changes, the risks that I take, the positions I step into, the things I decide to avoid or approach. No one knows that better than the athlete. So the athlete's mm. in actually in a really good position to, um, to, to make an educated guess. Now, we, uh, for, for me, I think a real connection with the coach is important, right? Because an athlete's going to have an understanding of parts of their performance that they're very good at and parts of their performance that they're not very good at. They're going to have mm. parts of their performance that they're good at and they're, they're not good at. They, they might not necessarily be able to see. And this is where, you know, you can call it augmented feedback or kind of that, um, that blindness, that blind spot that an athlete has. That's where, an, that's where a coach can come in and kind of shine a light there and illuminate things a little bit. And I mm. think for, for an athlete, being honest and open and feeling like they can approach a coach or, or, or their teammate even, someone that they trust and someone that they feel has um, information that could be useful to their performance. And once they start to kind of unpack their experience a little bit, they'll start to notice very, very simple things that they can work on, right? So it might be something as simple as 
focus, right? It might be, oh, when I'm not performing at my best or, or pressure's getting to me, I'm starting to pay more attention to the pressure that I'm feeling mm. as opposed to the task that I'm trying to do. I notice that. How do I course correct as an athlete? I know what I need to be doing. I know what I need to be paying attention to. I'm going to lock in and focus on that. If they notice, for example, that they're, the way that they speak to themselves mm. during performance isn't particularly helpful. Now, I'm guilty of this as well. I've probably called myself some names on the soccer pitch that I wouldn't dare call anyone else, right? I'm not, at times, I haven't been particularly kind to myself. And I'm sure that resonates with a lot of people, right? You may not have been a great friend to yourself mm. as an athlete. Certainly, if a teammate had called you one of those things, you know, you might, have, you might have had a problem on the field. So I think athletes need to have a real understanding of the negative impacts that the way that they speak to themselves in a negative way actually has on their performance. It becomes a distractor. It saps your energy. It takes you away from what you're trying to achieve. It sort of narrowly blinkers everything down in your decision making. And, your, you know, we can talk about peripheral vision and all that sort of stuff shuts down a little bit. And we become very focused. Anticipation goes out of the window. Now, if I can just notice that those things are mm. happening, that's a huge win. Unbelievably big win, right? It's like noticing the crack in the dam, mm. right? It means I don't have to repair the whole dam. Yeah. I just have to patch up that crack. And that's so much more, that's so much easier than having to rebuild an entire dam. So mm. if I can catch these things early, it might just be such a simple thing. Like, okay, is this helpful to me right now? You know, a lot of, a lot of people will use the acronym WIN, W-I-N, what's important now? And it's a really simple way for athletes to think about, okay, the moment that I'm in, the thing that I'm being asked to do, whatever that is, what's important now? And that helps them, feel, like I talked about before, filter out what's the signal and what's the noise. If it's noise, I don't need to pay attention to it. It's just going to be there. If it's signal, that's where I want my mind to be. And just by reinforcing that, saying, my, saying it to myself over and over again, what that helps athletes do is it, it takes them away from listening to themselves and they start speaking to themselves, mm. right? And that can be very simple. It can be some instructional information. What is it that I want to do right now? Or it could be a little bit motivational, mm. right? A little bit of, okay, you've got this, keep working, keep working, lots of effort. Either of those things are really important because if you think about what does a coach do? Well, a coach provides me with instruction mm. and a coach also provides me with encouragement and provides me with motivation. What does a teammate do? Great ones provide me with motivation. Even better ones provide me with instruction. Okay, well, if I'm not getting anything from there, who else could provide me with that instruction and that motivation? You. Mm. Plain and mm. simple. You know what you need to be doing. You know the keys to your performance, and you know better than yourself, than anyone else how to get you motivated. So helping athletes realize that they can talk to themselves and be really active in that process Instead of being a passenger and listening to themselves, it's a really power and uh, really powerful and freeing tool in my experience with athletes. Mm, that's the positive self-talk, useful self-talk angle, which makes you know a, a lot of sense. And and before you know, I take you up on um, some of those uh, subsets that you have mentioned because you've mentioned confidence, you've mentioned focus, you've mentioned resilience a little bit. You know, in what you've talked about, let's talk about quickly the work that you now do with the IMG. Would you say there's any difference in what you now do and what you were doing with those NCA athletes, you know, all that while ago? That's a great question. So um, to, get, to give a little bit of background in my role, so um, I'm, I'm currently manager for, for coaching and development for IMG Academy Plus. 
So a lot of people will be familiar with IMG Academy, which is obviously where I'm sat right now in the physical, the physical location, Britain and Florida. It's a, it's a, it's Disneyland <laughs> for sports, to be perfectly honest, for youth sports. It's, a, it's an unbelievable facility. If you have the opportunity to, to even to see it or to, to look at the website, it's, it's, it's marvelous. It really is. Um, and we have, you know, around about 1300 student athletes that all of them are athletes. So everyone is here going to school, but everyone is an athlete. So that's what makes us very, very special. Um, now, as part of their experience in being here, everyone is exposed to mental conditioning as part and parcel of what they do here in a, in a department that we call uh, athletic and personal development. So athletic and per personal development, you sort of see the chart over my shoulder here. It has um, athletic training, it has strength and conditioning, it has sports science, it has leadership, it has uh, nutrition, and it has mental conditioning. So we're very much about the holistic development of an athlete, recognizing that there are um, lots of different facets to performance. It's not just the technical and the tactical, how well can you kick or catch or throw or head or how fast are you. We realize that there's a lot goes into performance, and our goal is to try and equip athletes to, to rise up and meet their, meet their potential. So... What that means for uh, IMG Plus is the role that I'm in allows me to work with a group of coaches that are dotted around the United States where we are able to work with athletes outside of the four walls of the academy. So from a mental conditioning and a nutrition standpoint, we're able to connect with athletes and provide them with the world-class service that we have on campus for those people that aren't able to physically come to our campus. So the, the level of athletes that we work with could be all the way from sort of 12 all the way through 18 so anywhere in that kind of that that youth sport spectrum so i tee that up to say that the difference between working with this kind of population and working with nc2a athletes is um most likely just age <laughs> that, that that's it the 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 demands of performance are pretty consistent for athletes of all ages and stages right they have to deal, they have to be able to manage their focus. They have to be able to feel confident. They have to be able to stay composed under pressure and they have to be able to deal with the, the pressure that comes from being observed or judged or whatever word you want to put in there. And it looks very different for different athletes. It looks different to a golfer than it does to a tennis player, to a soccer player, to a football player, to a, to an, uh, to a, a tracker yeah. athlete or a javelin thrower. Performance looks very different. Just like yourself as a lawyer have to do all of those things yourself you have to manage your focus you have to feel prepared and feel confident you have to stay composed you have to um, communicate effectively and you have to manage your emotions mm. the task changes but the mental emotional psychological demands of performance are actually pretty consistent so i think probably the biggest difference that that i find working with athletes that are slightly older as opposed to slightly younger is just making that information for those younger athletes mm. digestible and relatable right so am i going to sit down and talk about big theoretical ideas with a with a, a 12 or a 13 year old athlete if i want to waste my time i will but i'm going to try and relate it back to parts of their life parts of their experience parts of their world that they're able to grab onto and apply it to now a college athlete that might be going through you know they might be going through some psych classes they might be going through some exercise science and some physiology classes when we're talking about you know, energy management and emotional control, we might be able to tap that into something that they know from a physiological standpoint or a neuroscience standpoint. I don't do that with a youth athlete because they don't have that background, that experience. So really, it's just about meeting athletes where they are. 
And what do we talk about in terms of, you know, the thing that we mentioned right at the beginning? It's a developmental pathway, mm-hmm. right? We're just trying to help athletes get better and better and better. Now, I would say one thing that I see a lot in youth sport is particularly for early maturers, so athletes that are that are bigger and faster and stronger, is that coaches and athletes can have a little bit of a tendency to treat those, let's mm-hmm. let's call them what they are, children like mini adults. And it's very easy to do here on campus as well, because if you're ever over in our basketball gym or you, you wander out to the football field, we've got, you know, we've got people on campus that are that are seven foot tall and are 250 pounds of solid <laughs> muscle and just look like grown men, look like more grown men than I am. <laughs> and it's very, very easy to think that's a grown man, but it's not. It's a 15 year old and a 15 year old has, from a sort of a physiology standpoint, a very different physiology. They've got a load of emotions and hormones and everything ping-ponging around in their, in their, in their brain and in their body. They've got figuring mm-hmm. out what their social identity is and who they are and where they fit and the whole pressures of school and social media and all of this stuff coming in, right? And if we treat them like mm-hmm. mini adults just because they look like them, mm-hmm. then we're not meeting them where we are. Or rather, we're not meeting them where they are. You know, it's kind of like, it's like giving a learner driver a Ferrari, right? Like, are they going to be yeah. able to make it go? Mm. Yeah, but are they going to be able to control it and get it to go exactly where they wanted to go? Probably not, right? So we have a lot of Ferrari athletes, but it's about realizing that they're young people, stages of development. These are teenagers. They're chock full of hormones and, you know, all of these developmental things that we know are going on. If we don't meet them where we are and connect with them as people in that experience, people first and athletes second, then we're really doing a disservice to them. So my, my job, you know, working with the youth mm. sports base is to try and make this stuff sticky and useful and tangible because I want them to take, I want them to take it with them. I don't want someone getting in touch with me, you know, five years down the line when they're in college working with an athlete that I worked with and go, how come they, how come they still struggle to, to regulate their focus or how come they don't know where confidence comes from? I want mm. to get upstream and help youth sport athletes prepare themselves for that developmental pathway. I like, I like to use the analogy of, um, I don't want to, I don't want to continue to help athletes put out fires. I want to fireproof the athlete. I want them to be able to deal with that themselves as they grow and they develop. So really at the end of the day, what are we doing with youth athletes? We're trying to help them use their mind for them rather than against them when they perform. That's it. It's, it really is as simple as that. Mm, that, 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 is a, that is a handful in terms, of, in terms of the things that you do, you know, and, and the kind of results that you, uh, you, you guys are aiming to achieve. You know, but um, how do athletes get into the IMG Academy? So there's an athlete who is listening to us now. They feel maybe they have what it takes in. Are there any criteria? Are there any requirements and things like that? To be perfectly honest, I, I, I don't have a very good answer for that um, because it, it's, it's going to be different based on mm. sport to sport and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of factors that I'm just, yeah. you know, full disclosure, I'm not over in terms of those things. Um, the, the, obviously, people can visit the website and, and take a look at those, those sort of things and, um, you know, get an understanding of what the demands of academy life are and, 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 and those elements and, you know, try and see whether this is the right fit for them and whether it's something that they could, that they could, um, mm they could benefit from, as it were, and, and use as part of their development. Um, you know, we, we know that there are obviously limiting factors, the, the geography of where we are, right? We're, we're one place in one location in, in one state in the US. There is a there is obviously a cost. This is a, you know, it is a business. So there is a cost associated with with attending um, with attending the academy. Um, but also that's one of the reasons why we brought on IMG Academy 
from the plus standpoint, IMG plus is hopefully um, mitigating some of the limiting factors for mm. people being able to get access to this information. So while you might not be able to physically come to this location and physically train, being able to access a lot of these services via kind of mm. online tools, you know, whether that's live sessions one-on-one -on -one with a coach, whether that's being part of one of our group courses where you're in with a cohort of athletes and in a sort of a community and social learning experience, or whether that's, you know, using using the um, the on-demand app that we have for IMG um, Plus to kind of train yourself and use that as a resource to, to get ahead in terms of your mental game. We feel like we're doing a really nice job of diverse, diversifying the opportunity for people to get at least parts of the IMG Academy experience without actually coming onto the onto the uh, the campus because, yes, we know that there are limiting factors when it comes to that. Has mm. there been ever a situation, you know, especially for you, Dr. Greg, when since you've been with IMG, where you've seen an athlete come in and you've been like, boom, this athlete is going to be a world beater. Or an athlete come in and you're like, I don't think they have what it takes. So you have not worked with them yet. You know, just off of the first impression that they kind of give you where you're like, this one is going far. This is, uh, I'm, I'm not so sure. Uh, have there been situations like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, one of the, one of the perhaps common misconceptions that, that, people might have about IMG Academy is that it's an academy that is just absolutely packed to the rafters with the creme de la creme of sport, right? Where we've got people that are guaranteed to move on to the next level, people that are guaranteed to go mm. into the professional mm. ranks. And un unfortunately, <clears throat> unfortunately, that is not the case, right? So we do, we do have a lot of athletes <laughs> that are very highly recruited college athletes. We have a lot of people that are going to go out and play in professional sports across all of our different sports. But we also have a lot of people that are here for other reasons. They're here to have a phenomenal mm. developmental experience in terms of getting better at their sport, learning how to be leaders, learning how to look after their body and develop themselves physically and psychologically and socially, looking for a phenomenal school experience. Because let's not forget, IMG Academy mm. is a school, first and foremost, that just happens to have this phenomenal mm. experience for, for athletes here. So the education that they get over in the, um, in the academic center is phenomenal. So we have athletes that are here for a variety of reasons not necessarily just as a kind of a finishing school before they move off to the next level. <clears throat> so long story short, yes, absolutely. We interact with people all of the time that, that won't necessarily play at the, at, at the next level or certainly won't play at the highest level. Now, we have a wonderful rate of people that go on to play in college. That college level, as, you, as you're probably familiar with in the United States, can mm -hmm. be incredibly varied, right? We have very, very high-level Division One, Two, Three, junior college, NAIA, community college, all of these different levels. So we have a wonderful track record of putting people into college placements where they get to play sport in school. Um, with that being said, there are also people here that don't necessarily have that desire to have that passion. They're looking to develop physically, but they might have a desire to go into law and or medicine or something that... They're not mm. really that interested in continuing on their sporting experience, but perhaps they want to develop the tools to be a, a lifelong tennis player or a lifelong golfer or someone that just wants to go out there and play mm. recreational soccer, right? So we have a, we have a real mix, a real diversity of, of, of reason why people are here. Mm. Um, so long story short, yes, I've seen people that I'm thinking, you quite probably won't play at the next level, but also I've come across a lot of people that are also fine with that too. Um, but I've, and, and, you know, cards on the table. I've also, I've also come across, across athletes where I'm thinking, you, you're definitely going to play at the next level and you could really succeed here if you just take care of this last little bit, which is usually the mental bit. And I've seen people that feel like they might not be able to play at the next level, 
And if you just take care of that last mm. little mental bit, you'd be amazed at the potential that, that that can unlock and how freeing that can be to take them to the next level. So I think for, for me, the most rewarding part is when I get to work with athletes and see them make that realization that if they take care of this little bit, it's sort of, you know, kind of like, you know, picking a lock or like a, a, a you see them in the movies, right? Where they've got the stethoscope on and they're trying to pick the lock of the, um, safe. the, the mm. lock in the big safe. And all of a sudden the pins drop and then clang, 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 the machine goes and they spin it. And there's the, there's the, the mm. loot as it were. That's for me, that's the most rewarding when it clicks for an athlete and they realize how impactful and how freeing a strong mental game can be for their overall performance. And like I said before, their development as an athlete. Mm. Now let's go to this picking of the lock. Like I said, you talked about confidence. You like, like you said, you know, the difference between the NBA players that made it and the ones who did not make it were those who had that belief in their ability that I can improve, I can do this, I can get to this level. How does an athlete develop confidence? How do they improve their game? How do they believe in their abilities? Yeah, phenomenal question. Um, I think. For me, for me, maybe a good place to start is really is really getting an understanding of what confidence is. So we've used a lot of those terms, right? It's that it's that um, belief in your ability to be successful at whatever it is you're being asked to do, right? So we, when when I talk about confidence with an athlete, I talk about it in a slightly different way that you might talk about confidence with just a normal person, right? So if I ask you, "Are you a confident person?" You'd probably say, "Yes, I am." But if I said, "Okay," Let's stop this conversation we're having right now. I would like you during this podcast to sing the national anthem. You might find your confidence crashing to the floor, right? <laughs> because that confidence can can be can be situational specific. And trust me, my confidence would be on the floor too. That's that confidence is situational specific, right? So it depends on what we're being asked to do. So we see this all the time on on um, you know on TV shows where this person who isn't very confident comes out on stage and all of a sudden they're in their element and they blast out some opera song or something like that right because they've got confidence in that thing that they're doing up belief in their capabilities to meet that task so that's what I, that's what i mean here by confidence now from a from a conceptual standpoint the way that i the way that i try and help athletes recognize what confidence is and where confidence comes from is helping them identify that there's multiple sources for confidence to come from Right now, mm. you know, we could go down a theoretical path. Really, we're talking about, you know, previous performance being a huge indicator of whether or not I should feel confident in any situation. If I've succeeded before, I should be confident that I can succeed again. On the other side of that, if I failed before, I might not have that confidence. So we've got previous performance. We've got what we call vicarious experience, which is can I see other people do this thing that I'm trying to do? And what's more important is, are those people like me? So going back to my golf game, if I watch Tiger Woods hit a drive, you know, 320 yards down the middle of a fairway, well, good for him. But that doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence because I don't see a lot of my golf game in his golf game, right? The other the other area is, um, one of the other sources is verbal persuasion, right? And we mm. usually think about that in terms of other people persuading us or kind of, you know, we talked about the role of a coach or the role of a teammate. But we can also talk about what's that self-talk doing for me am i verbally persuading myself that i can do this and we talked about instructional and motivational self-talk can be really useful there and then the other part is how do i feel what's my body feel like emotionally where am i do i feel relaxed do i feel calm do i feel um sort of ready and energized ready for performance so there's there's kind of from a theoretical standpoint helping athletes recognize that you can pull from all of those areas as well it's not just have i done this well before mm -hmm. but i also like to try and take this a little bit of a step further and realize that 
you know, in terms of previous performance, big indicator of confidence. A lot of people think about this as kind of a zero-sum game. Well, I either have been successful or I haven't been successful. And often, it's, oftentimes they relate that to the result, mm -hmm. right? Did I do this correctly? Did I win? Did I lose? Whatever. So the way that I like to think about previous performance is kind of like a um, kind of like a buffet, right? If you went to a, if you went to a restaurant and it was buffet mm -hmm. style, and you really, let's say for example, you really wanted steak, right? And you were dying for some steak, and you went to the buffet, you walked, strolled up confidently <laughs> to the steak station, and you looked there, and the chef goes. I've, ju I've just given my last piece of steak away. What are you going to do? Are you going to turn around and leave the restaurant? Mm. I don't think so. You're going to go and you're going to have a look around the buffet and you're going to go, ooh, there's some <laughs> lobster. I don't know. I made a very fancy buffet mm. here. There's no steak, but there's lobster. There's some lobster over here or there's some pasta over here or there's some, some rice over here or whatever it is. You're going to go and you're going to pick and choose from other things, even though that thing that you wanted isn't there. Mm. So I say all of that to say this, for me and helping athletes recognize where confidence comes from is being able to look at your performance as a whole, but pick and choose where you can pull confidence from. Mm. So it's the idea of who will listen. If, if my confidence comes from winning, but winning isn't happening right now, where else can I pull it from, right? If winning is my steak, mm. what's my lobster? And that might be, that might be mm. knowing that I've prepared really well, knowing that I've trained hard all week, We've gone over film. I know what my role is on, you know, during set plays. Mm. I know exactly what I'm being asked to do. I've got role clarity. I know my teammates around me are phenomenal. Bang, can I pull confidence from that? Even if things aren't going well during performance, God, my passing is not very good today. Okay, well, how's mm. your heading? How's your tackling? How's your being able to track and run back after people? What's your positional sense? What's your ability to read the game? Recognizing that you can kind of pull these little pieces of Lego together and build something that looks like confidence from all of these individual pieces, right? But as soon as I see confidence as something that I either have or I don't have, as soon as that light switch gets turned off because I don't have it, that doesn't put me in a good position to be mm. successful. But if I realize that there's little places I can pull from that I know cumulative can help cumulatively, mm. can help me build that confidence, you've got a superpower because confidence is there for you. You've just got to go and collect it. The buffet is open. You've just got to go and fill your plate. Even if that thing that you originally wanted isn't there, can you go and pull from mm. all of those other different sources of confidence to create something mm. that you know you can stand your performance on? And me, for me, at the end of the day, that's what confidence is. Uh, I need to get your commitment, Dr. Greg, that you are going to come back on the podcast because I feel like if we continue like this, you know, I'm going to keep you for two and a half hours. So it's going to be the Joe experience, so to speak, where he's having conversations for three hours and the likes. I need to get your commitment that you are going to come back on the podcast so that we can delve a little bit more into some of the things that we haven't talked about. Let me just get your commitment on that. Yeah, I, I, I'd be delighted. I'd, I've really enjoyed the conversation. And as you can tell, I'm a, I'm a bit of a talker and um, I, like, I like talking shop with people that are interested in talk shop, you know, Sports a huge part of my life, and if I can help, um, if I can help even just one person from the conversation that we've had do something positive and impactful for the performance, then I consider my job done. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be delighted to delighted to have another chat with you. Fantastic. So I'm going to email you on that. We can schedule it a few months down the line. You know, so this one settles in very well with this. They take all the nuggets you talked about. So, but I'll send you a mail on that so that we schedule it. You know, probably. Early next year, they're about to digest this one very well. 
But the final two questions that I wanted to ask, is exactly who is listening to us now, they've heard us speak for the last one hour or thereabouts, talking about all these things you experienced, all the work, all the advice about confidence, and all the things that we've broken down. And they're like, Dr. Greg, I need one thing that I can do today gets me a step closer to my... It doesn't have to get me to the goal, but I just need because I've heard all the things you and Tola have talked about, what you have broken out, all of those things. I want to start my journey in the game today. What is that one thing you would tell them to start with, Dr. Greg? Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful question. Um, I would say, and this is going to, again, sound too simple, but I'm going to build it off the, the conversation that we've just had about confidence. I would say get yourself a... Um, a paper, some paper or a larger piece of paper or sit there with your the notes app in your phone or on your computer whatever it is and just start to write down all of the re all of the reasons or all of the things that give you confidence so we talked about you know that recognizing that there are multiple different sources of confidence as an athlete during my competition or practice or whatever it is that you want to do or even if you're, you're not an athlete and you want to just consider this as a person right because life is a performance at the end of the day on that sheet of paper, just start to write down all of the things that you can you can use to pull confidence from, right? The world is your oyster. There's no stupid answers here, right? I'm six foot three. Height <laughs> was one of my, as a, as a central defender in soccer, that was one of the, the things that gave me confidence. My ability to jump, because I'm six foot three, but I could also jump as a younger man. That gave me confidence. My connection with my teammates, the fact that I knew everyone on that, in that back four, back three, back five, had my back. The fact that I knew I had a great goalkeeper behind me. The mm. fact that I knew the game. The fact that um, I trained really, really hard. The fact that um, I've had a good night's sleep the night before. The fact that I've listened to some music mm. before the game and I feel prepared. Mm. The fact that I've gone through my routine pre-match, cleaning my soccer boots, making sure they're polished and sparkling and gleaming, ready to go out in the field. All of the things that I've always done, whether it's something really specific like for your performance whether it's something really specific for a specific performance or whether it's something rather general just start mm. writing things down and you might you know if you're like me and you've got a book and you you, you continue to go back to that book mm. or keep a running list if you're using your phone and you're in the notes app keep a running note every time you think of something that gives you a little bit of confidence bang fire it in there why because all you're doing is creating and i'm going to speak to the lawyer here you're creating evidence for the defense, right? As to mm. when someone, when someone, mm. when the prosecution comes in and puts you under questioning about why you're, why you're not confident, mm. you can go, well, I would like to present exhibit A to the, uh, to the court if it pleases, right? And you can go through and you've got those responses already planned. Hey, these are all of the things that give me confidence. These are the reasons mm. I should feel like I've got belief or at least I've got the, the tools or the talent or the skill set or the effort or the desire or mm. the passion or that attitude of development that can help me deal with whatever it is I'm being asked to do to deal with during my program. Uh, that's a that's a super super answer in terms of one thing they can do. Super super answer. That's where the, you know you keep talking about the lawyer. That's where the doctor comes in. So I think I have to I have to turn the favor, you know, and also let you know that uh, that that that's the doctorate that is talking. Thank you so much for that, Doctor Greg. Final question. The reason I named the podcast Athlete Maestro was because, you know, like I said, when we're chatting off air, was that I wanted to help athletes master their crafts of being an athlete, give them 
educational information on athletic performance, sports performance, how to be better athletes, how to um, raise their game to speak. What in your estimation does it mean to be a master of your craft? And of course, we're talking about sports. Yeah, um, pooh, that is a great question. What does it take to be a master of your craft? Um, relentless consistency. I think is the answer to that question. It's, um, you know, how, how do you become extraordinary? Well, you just do the ordinary things extra well. It, 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 it really isn't complicated. You look at, you look at a maestro, you know, the, the picture that came to my head when you said maestro is obviously, you know, someone who's going to be standing in front of an orchestra and conduct, conducting. Um, like if you think about the, the expertise that that person has, they spend all of their time studying. They spend all of their time understanding the relationships of the music, the, the interconnection between the pieces and the, the timing and the, 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 the tempo and the, the kind of the way that the music moves and rises. And there's a lot of parallels there when it comes to sport, right? Sport is not to get too poetic, but sport is a sim symphony. That's why we like it. That's why music pays, music pays so well in videos over sports, right? You watch a highlight clip. There's usually music over the top of it. So for me, for a maestro, it's someone that really has a, has an appreciation of the whole, right? Now, if you pick the maestro up and ask him to play the oboe, he might struggle, right? But he has an understanding of what the demands of that is, right? What, what it is that person's being asked to do. And the demands of that is the same as a, as a, as a flautist, is the same as the drummer, is the same as, you know, someone that's playing the violin or the cello. And all of these things have to come together. So for a maestro really understand the sum of all of the parts. And I mentioned before, you know, we, I'm very fortunate to be sat in this chair in the IMG Academy where we have athletic and personal development, where, um, you know, we have strength and conditioning, we have nutrition, we have sports science, we have leadership, we have mental conditioning. And these are all parts mm. of the orchestra. And for an athlete to really develop the way that we hope athletes want to develop is they have to, they have to appreciate all of the unique points that are offered by all of these dis disciplines and realize that, to really be a maestro, you have to incorporate all of these different elements into playing your symphony, to playing your game. So for me, a maestro is someone that is just relentless consistency. They do the little things and they do the little things well over a long period of time. And, and that results in good performance. But it's that really unwavering desire to just continue to learn and develop. You'll have maestros that have been playing with orchestras for thousands of years who just continue to want to learn and develop. And really, if you're a youth athlete, and that's at the heart of everything that you do, man, you really can't go far wrong with that. You put yourself in a position not to be successful, but to equip yourself with all of the tools to be successful. You can't guarantee success in sport. Otherwise, we'd all be, we'd all be millionaires because we know the outcome of, we know the outcome of every single game or every single match. All you can do is honestly and earnestly approach performance with that desire to get a little bit better. And at the end of the day, with both IMG Academy and IMG, IMG Plus, we're just trying to help athletes recognize that that's all performance is. Mm. Mm. Relentless consistency. I need to, I'm, I'm going to apply for my doctorate maybe on Monday so that I can, you know, also begin to expand on some of these points the way you have, Dr. Greg. Expertly delivered and expertly said. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. I've kept you, you know, for over an hour there. But tell us how we can find, tell us how we can follow you, follow the work that you do, the work that IMG Academy does as well. Yeah, no, I mean, first and foremost, it's, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much for you, for you sharing your time with me. You know, obviously I, like I said, I, I love talking shop. So it's, you know, for someone that's, for someone that's trying to improve the youth athlete experience, like, like we're trying to do here, it's, 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 you know, the pleasure really is all mine. 
Um, in terms of where you can find obviously information for the for the academy, there is the the IMG Academy website, and, and within that there is the IMG Plus information as there as well. There I can I can send you the information to, to perhaps put in the show notes there so people can access it. In terms of if you're interested in in following me and my random thoughts, I am on Twitter and my, my handle is at DocYoungy, and that's uh, that's at D O C Y O U N G Y. Um, feel free to. Feel free to give me a follow on there. Um, but yeah, like I say, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks for sharing your time with me. Uh, thank you so much, Joey. Real pleasure. Thanks very much, Tola. I really enjoyed chatting to you, man. And there you have it, guys. You know, I, I feel like when people listen to the introductory part of the podcast, they're always like, ah, Tola has come again. Tola has come with his this and with his that. But trust me, did that fulfill or did that meet all the requirements like I just mentioned? Just try, send me mail, Tola. Athletemaster.com. If that hit all the nails on the head in terms of um, how Dr. Greg Young talks, the things he spoke about, the explanations that he gave to all of these things that athletes struggle with, and of course, how they can find solutions to it. Look at the part about the IMG Academy that, hey, look, don't think that just because you go to one academy solves all your problems. Absolutely not. There's so much more that you need to get out of the experience of being an athlete and an academy one academy without you putting in the other work is not going to solve all of that ah oh, absolutely special episode with dr greg yoga and of course like you said like like i said i got that commitment from him to come back because it was that good it was that good send me guys send me a mail let me know your biggest takeaway from this episode what's one thing that you learned from this episode with dr greg young tola at athletemaestro.com and of course head over to the website i'm going to include all the details of how you can follow Dr. Greg, how you can email him, how you can get in touch with him, you have any questions whatsoever, so head over to the show notes, athletemaestro.com forward slash Greg, athletemaestro.com forward slash Greg, so G-R-E-G, athletemaestro.com forward slash Greg. We have details on the IMG Academy, the work that Dr. Greg is doing, how you can contact him, you have any questions whatsoever related to performance. He has a PhD, guys in sports psychology so who better to educate you on a lot of these things so send him a mail you find that email in the show notes and of course i'll put his twitter handle as well i know he's active on twitter as well if you haven't subscribed to the podcast i keep saying this guys so you don't miss episodes like this athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe so you learn how to subscribe you also learn how to leave a rating and review you also learn how to leave a rating and review athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe and of course like i said you enjoy this send me a mail tell me your biggest takeaway tola at athletemaestro.com i also want you to share this episode guys on all your social media platforms share it with your fellow athletes share it on instagram twitter facebook whichever of the platforms that you use help spread the message that we have here on athlete maestro of course which is helping athletes break their mental and physical limitations in sports so that they can achieve their sport goals you break your limitations what happens you get closer to the goals that you are chasing athletemaestro.com head over there you see other episodes that you can share with athletes i'll catch you guys on the next episode of the show remember knowing it's not enough you must apply willing it's not enough you must do and just go out there apply all the lessons you've learned from dr greg young i want you to go out there I want you to be a maestro today and every single day.